Hey everybody and welcome back to another episode of The Searchers. I am here tonight with Christopher. Say hi. Hey everybody. How's and, it going? And I think as of now, if you've been listening, you know this is uh, Benjamin, sometimes called other mean things. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's all good. It's all love, baby. But yes, we are back. We are recover. We are recovering from the summer break still. I think, Chris, and, and actually, to, to let everyone yes, we are a little peek under the hood. We're recording two episodes tonight, and this is the first one we're doing. So we got a lot ahead of us tonight, but it's all good. Uh, to mm-hmm. in this episode, we are going to review the 1951 western Rawhide. Uh, but before- Yeehaw! <laughs> Uh, but we do owe someone a shout out. I, I apologize. I have not checked in August. I basically didn't check the email. So we have a mailbag. I, we, we cool. have, we have a shout out and, um, I'll let Chris read it. And after you hear what it is, you'll understand why Chris is reading it. Well, I'm honored. And, uh, yeah, let's dig right into this mailbag. So it says, hi, Ben, Chris, and Kevin been following you all on letterbox for a while but I didn't check out the podcast until this latest episode. Now I wish I had started earlier because this kind of podcast focusing on niche films is exactly what I've been looking for. Nick was a great and informative guest. I hope you'll have him on again. If you do more Australian films or Frankenheimer films or cold war films, looking forward to what you'll get up to next regards. Odie. I'd like to say thank you, Odie. Uh, Very much appreciate you checking out the podcast and then taking the time to send us some great, love as i said in yeah, the, some the beginning great, <laughs> some great love um odr buckle is on letterboxd i will probably reach out to him before i post this episode to see if it's okay but maybe i'll just if it is okay i'll post his letterbox uh profile in the episode description because you need to give people who give us love need to get love too Link it. Yes. Uh, and yes, Nick, I didn't do an Australian accent. You're welcome. <laughs> very good. But very yes, good. Everyone, and, sorry. No, no, it's fine. I, I just, I would love to have Nick on again. It's uh, he was a, it was a great episode with road games. Uh, you, me and Kevin, we all had a great time. Nick had a great time. And it was, it was actually very, as Odie says, very informative yes. on that particular film. There's a lot of options, but uh, methinks a Frankenheimer it will happen eventually. Uh, maybe something else before so, that, yeah. but uh, it it'll happen. Uh, thank you, Odie. I don't, I don't know if he's Australian too, but I, we were talking about that before the, the podcast. But if you're if you are Australian, you're welcome. I didn't do an accent. <laughs> <laughs> it's a courteous thing. Yeah, uh, I'm not trained, but I should be at this point. <laughs> yeah, so. Uh, that's awesome. Send your mailbags into the searchers podcast at gmail.com. We will read it on the air. Uh, you can request us to, you know, just like Odie did, you can request some movies. Maybe we'll, we'll, or directors or whatever. Just give us something and something to start with, and maybe we'll use it as an idea. We, uh, feedback is welcome. So thank you again. We read them all. We read them all, folks. Yes. We'll give you the lerve. Yes. So yeah, back to Rawhide. As of this recording, um, I will post the the link in the, the description for the Rawhide uh, YouTube link that Chris used to watch the movie. Um, that's awesome that it's out there uh, as as of this recording. But once we post this, and you know the thirty people that listen, it'll get removed. <laughs> like, oh look, a, a spike in the YouTube views on this a movie that shouldn't be up here. It's taken down. Uh, right, but it's a, and it's actually great quality, which is a kicker for yeah. YouTube. And the other option is obviously renting it through your usual avenues, but um, I, you can pick up the, the last option is picking up the Blu-ray from Kino Lorber. I have it. There you go, Chris. You can see it. Kind oh, of, that looks great. Yeah, yes. Colorful. Love that poster. Yes. Yeah, very colorful uh, cover. And yet the movie's in black and white. So uh, I, I love those old yeah. Western posters. They're great. So yeah, Rawhide, um, directed by Henry Hathaway, um, known probably a lot for his westerns. Um, so here's another one from him, and it's starring Tyrone Power, Susan Hayward, and I think this is misleading, but uh, 
we'll say I'll say the next two names, even though I was only going to go with three. I told Chris three, but we're going to do four. Uh, Edgar yeah. Buchanan, I think it's just a uh, he's a not really a main character, but that's fine. And Hugh Marlowe, not to be mistaken for Philip Marlowe. <laughs> so we'll get to some more of the people that other people in the cast. Um, but yeah, why I chose this one is because I want <laughs> watch this movie, uh, Eric and Brett over there, not Brent, Brett thought that our podcast, the searchers only did Westerns as did another friend of the pod, Stu from the midnight movie Cowboys. They kind of like, were like, yeah, they cover Western. They both said it on their podcast. Like they cover <laughs> Westerns. And I'm like, guys, we've, we, that's like, not even 10% of what we've done, but it's fine. It's okay. It's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm setting fine. the record straight, but I am also upticking that percentage. So maybe we'll be like 11% now. You're getting two birds stoned at once. That's the way she goes. That's the way she goes. It's the way she goes. Sometimes she goes, sometimes it doesn't. She didn't go. It's the way she goes. To be fair, because of the name, I understand why they think we cover Westerns. We were trying to pay more of a homage to the film because it's one of the all-time greats. Yes. As, as far as we agree. Um, but we also thought it was fitting for searching for film. Yeah, The Searchers, which directed by John Ford, funny tie-in to John Ford for this movie is that the movie was uh, actually written, the script was written by Dudley Nichols, who was a long-time John Ford collaborator, uh, most notably on Stagecoach, which basically makes him Western royalty. Have you seen Stagecoach, Chris? Of course. Uh, you were shaking your head no almost. I was about to get really salty. I I did that weird. My body was doing something that I was not speaking it's fine it was not coordinating properly (laughs) well it's good you've seen the movie crisis averted grew grew up with that one thank you mom yes shout out to mom your mom who is is a john ford fan your mom calling back to cinema crusades is amazing because she also made you watch the big country recently right yes for the first time Uh, yes and uh sergeant rutledge which was again john ford Oh, okay. Yeah. And we grew up and John we grew Ford up with love. Donovan's Reef. Just John, John Ford love. Yeah, John Ford all we are a fan of John Ford here, obviously, at the Searchers. Uh from the name and how we've talked about him on several episodes. Go check out Donovan's Reef. Uh but yes, let's get into the plot. Uh as a reminder, we haven't said it in a while, but we will cover spoilers after this point. We are less than ten minutes into this episode, and everything after this is fair game. So if you don't want the the movie spoiled go check it out on youtube um and then come back yes and then come back and finish this uh two hour long episode now i promise it will be shorter than that <laughs> so the plot uh chris you do the honors here it's one i sen- would love to one sent one sentence it's perfect at a stagecoach waypoint in the desert of california a man, woman, and child are held hostage by four outlaws trying to rob a gold shipment headed back east that happens to be stopping there tomorrow at noon. Pretty succinct, I, I think. I, I wrote that. <laughs> no, that was that's short and sweet and to the point. Yeah, that's kind of... A little run on but that's okay. Oh, uh, you and your stickler bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, whatever. All right, no, no grammar police here. How dare you? No, no, that was not really meant as stop as a jab. Chris PP, stop. Chris PP, Chang PP, Chang PP, Chris PP, CP. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, that's kind of a little spoilery because at the beginning of the, again, spoilers all after this. But at the beginning of the movie, they kind of start out with this weird like newsreel like oh here's the west and people doing typical stuff. 1940s 1950s newsreel yeah like, yeah here's a slapdash intro into the world you're about to enter yeah and then they also kind of close with something similar to that which not gonna lie right now that's kind of why i don't consider this movie better than i currently think it is like that's kind of weird that was weird to me why did you do that i don't know but- strange bookends it's of the times it's a little curio if they were to just sort of leave it. Yeah, I agree with you. If they were to leave that out and I think kind of it, go for a more poetic. I think the movie might almost be a, might be a masterpiece if it was it took that out. I think I agree with you. 
So yes, let's get into some more spoiler territory. So, oh, before we actually get into spoilers, my chain by, by by reading that lovely sentence summary that you wrote. What do we learn about the movie? Other obviously, we're learning the summary, but what what's what are typical aspects or not typical aspects that we can glean from that? It is at one location. Yes. And what about the one location and there's one other thing. You tell me. I only got a 50%. Sorry, Professor. No, no, it's okay. I, it's fine. The other thing is how the time that it covers. Okay, yeah. So one, one location and that it's really sort of in a 24-hour period. It might be a little longer than that. If yeah, it's probably it's probably like thirty six. Yeah, some it's it's two days. It's a day and then another day. That's it. But yes, yeah, two not two nights for sure, and partial days when it starts and ends. But yes, so I just wanted to enf- emphasize that the, the film is very economical in what it covers, um, yes. and what helps that along is the fact that the time and the setting are succinct and to the point yeah speaking of economical this movie was entirely filmed in location at the alabama hills in lone pine california which if you are a western buff like me you know that so many movies have been filmed there i mean gladiator had a sequence that was filmed there it's 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 very it's in california it's probably three three and a half hours from la so it's a way that directors and producers would like, for example, the renowned cycle with um, Randolph Scott, Harry Joe Brown, the producer and director, Bud Bodeker did a lot of their movies there. Um, there's, there's so many examples. I mean, there's a museum in Lone Pine where like Quentin Tarantino went during, uh, I think the release of the hateful eight, which I never, I've never seen. And I, I still come boycotting seeing that movie, but again, another quote unquote western single location maybe kind of but there's a lot of that movie wasn't filmed there but he's been there there, that's the significance of this museum with all these props and stuff but in this movie it was entirely filmed there and they actually built that building chris that it it took place in they built that for this movie and then tore it down immediately really yeah i think they said it cost fifty thousand bucks on the blu-ray there's like a little eight minute featurette about the Alabama Hills, which I've known about for a long time after, after like diving into all these Westerns the past couple of years. So that's really cool. Yeah. Alabama Hills. It's a economic location for people to film because they're just so like, they're so iconic and they're very different than just like monument Valley. It's going back to the searchers again. <clears throat> very good. And yeah, so where do we go from here, Chris? Where do you want to go? Where, there's a couple. Where do we go? Ways to skin this cat. Take this. Well, we can. We can just sort of go through the. The cast. Sure. We could just do that. I mean, your your first note here is, I think, an excellent one to, to tackle first. Yeah, Susan Hayward. Uh, the Susan Hayward. Amazing redheaded. Uh, to me, in this movie, she was like a, a, a amazing redheaded version of the Hawksian woman, kind of in a similar vein to, um, wow, she's her name is escaping me right now. Have, you've seen Rio Bravo, right? Yes, Angie Dickinson. Yes. It's oh, Angie! Po- I got the poster over there, and her name's not on it. Well, maybe it is. It's very small, though. I can sort of see the poster. Yes. Yes. My head's in the way. And Angie the Dickinson. Not, yeah, Angie Dickinson, uh, you know, very independent, but also semi-fragile. And for, there's, uh, you know, different reasons in, in both movies. But she's just, you know, an independent woman, and she knows what she wants. And when she wants it, she gets it. And all that, that's what they... I mean, super stone cold when she needs to be, though. Yes. In, in, like, in a good way. Just stoic, does not take BS from anybody. Yeah, except for when people beat the shit out of her. <laughs> Which, well, fair enough. getting to the next person after the four that I read at the beginning is uh, Jack Elam. Uh, yes, sir. I- iconic character actor for a lot of Westerns, but 
as many. You, as you said in our text messages earlier this week, uh, he's in a movie that I have not seen, but you have seen apparently. Uh, yes, as a crazy dude, right, or something. Yeah, yeah. He's a <laughs> he's supposed to be a medical doctor, quote unquote. He's just sort of grabbed off the street, and they yeah. use him in the race just, as a doctor. Everyone just check out Cannonball Run gifts like on your favorite gif like search Please engine do. and like his face and with this needle is just so creepy uh, it's it's creepy in the gif if you watch it in the movie it's hysterical yeah i need to watch because that movie they, they use him they use him as comic relief and he, he's so good at it because of his eyes and he fits the role he's one of the hugh marlowe is the leader of the four you know criminals Robbers. The, the outlaws the as Rafe Zimmerman and the beginning of the movie, the, the, the stagecoach line uh, run by Edgar Buchanan and Tyrone power find out that, Hey, there's a bunch of stagecoaches going by They're soldiers looking for these people who broke out of prison. And Rafe Zimmerman happens to be the one leading it. And apparently everyone knows he's a real bastard. Like he's just killed people in cold blood and, real terrible guy and he breaks out of prison with three guys and they're like oh he's going over to this town over here and in in reality the soldiers go that way and where do they all where do the bad guys go the other way to the waypoint yeah to the to the the place of respite for the travelers to california um in the desert so that's the setup and jackie lum's one of them and he's like there's four of them Rafe Zimmerman, aka well, Hugh Marlowe's character is kind of like the leader, but also very kind of fair in how he treats people. Not fair, like he's very much evil, but not as evil as Jack Elam. Jack Elam is like a real, like a horny. Elam's like he's chaotic evil. If you have the chart, yeah. Elam in this oh, movie is chaotic D&D evil. D and D charts, <laughs> and and Hugh Marlowe is just lawful evil. If that. If that makes sense, that would be the way to describe it. Everyone that plays RPG games, they know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so like how you would describe the two different is that Jack Elam does whatever the hell he wants, no matter what. And the other guy is smart about what he does because he knows he needs people for certain things. He doesn't just go off the handle and try to kill people. And he actually doesn't kill anybody in the entire movie. They just other people talk about him killing people. But Jack Elam, for it. Jack Elam mm-hmm. kills two people he kills no he kills three yeah three people he kills edgar buchanan's character at the beginning yes and then he kills yes. the two other he kills the two other outlaws besides uh the next one we dean will jagger. mention dean jagger or jaeger jagger obviously. i have always called him dean jagger as as yancey yes and he's a lovable outlaw kind of i mean he's yes he is he's a stupid person and that he gets taken advantage of by the evil guys basically is kind I, of how he's I didn't portrayed see, i didn't see him as stupid as much as just very susceptible to temptation like he he, he could not temptation overcome... he's gullible he's gullible he's easily persuaded yeah, by anybody that's i think that's more of what he is than stupid but but fair enough that's that's he's different than the other guys in that he has a more emotional side to him because he has some sweet moments with the girl the little girl yes susan hayward's girl uh callie callie after california mm-hmm. california carlsbad california baby have you ever seen that fired up i don't think the cheerleading so. movie <laughs> no i don't think all so. right nick if you're listening you got to make another one of those lists with all the movies that we mentioned in, the, in this episode because that's I hope he does. those are great go on letterbox people there's one from nick and one for me because i felt like doing it but yeah so yancey he, is the other one he's then, he's the most humanized of the villains by yes by the, perfectly by, the, said. by the direction of uh henry hathaway and dean jagger was really sort of perfect for that part because in the handful of westerns i've seen him in he's usually either a sage a sage old shopkeeper type or he's this kind of character where he he's he's very he's got the humanistic side that he he's relatable in that way he reminds me of someone that should be playing santa claus yes yes chris would know about that <laughs> i would uh <laughs> you can send in your send in your mailbags to ask why um but yeah please do 
But yeah, and, we will respond. <laughs> to tie this on Dean Jagger as a shopkeeper, I'll tie this to his role in Fire Creek that he did in 1968 with Jimmy Stewart and Henry Fonda, one of my favorite Westerns. A lot of people think it's a little hokey, and I can understand why. It's it's actually directed by Vince McVitie, who was a um, Disney TV movie regular back in the day. Okay. So he would kind of he would kind of do like the daytime Disney movies for kids. Okay. Um, and Fire Creek sort of feels that way, but it it really works for what the movie's trying to say. And Dean Jagger plays this old sage shopkeeper type is that like a- is a plays a he plays a pivotal moment to Jimmy Stewart's character change. Is it and like what a, happens to the is plot. it like an old yeller kind of like western where it's like kind of like wholesome and not childish but kind it's, of coming of age story a little bit? It's it's the first half is exactly like that, but then when this serious. moment happens with with Jagger, uh, Henry Fonda's crew comes and lights up the lights up the town. Oh, Henry Fonda plays another bad guy. He's a bad guy in that one. Well, I watched a yes, video sir. essay on Sergio Leone, and someone was like, "Oh, he." Only played a bad guy in Once Upon a Time in America, and I'm like, or, Once well, Upon Once Upon a so Time in the West. My bad. Once Upon a Time in the West. Time in the West. He played a bad guy in Fire Creek, but he's more. You he, he sort of, you sort of feel for him a little bit in it, and it's really Gary Lockwood who's like the evil bastard in in that one, okay. as as one of his henchies or the hmm. lead henchy. Hmm. But it's a great little movie, and I recommend it to you and anybody else who's listening. And I wanted to give the shout out because Dean Jagger is a favorite character actor. Apparently, I've seen a lot of movies with him in it. Um, and you know what? You bring up Santa Claus. I think he played Santa Claus. In White Christmas? <laughs> I think so. Um, I got his page up. Uh, yeah, he was in a lot of Westerns and a lot of ones I've seen, actually. And I don't I don't really particularly remember him be- besides this movie in Rawhide. So maybe it was just a movie. I, I don't know. But yeah, obviously another good character actor, kind of in the similar vein of Edgar Buchanan. He was in a shit. Yes. He was in a shitload of westerns. I mean, I've seen like thirty movies. Prolific, with that guy. yeah, prolific. And I know him the most from Petticoat Junction, the nineteen fifties. I believe it ran into the sixties TV show, and he was iconic as the patriarch of that family in that movie, and a lovable character. So going sure. on, we have. George Tobias is the the last of the outlaws, and I don't really recognize him. Um, I think I've seen a couple of movies. He's probably a bit player in all of them besides this one. He was playing yeah. a character named Grotz, who I think they're going for some kind of European. He's got an accent. Yes. And he's like... I sort of thought they're Italian or German. I know very different. I, I was going to say... I was going to say... Uh, well... The way he's speaking Neither. is German. No, the way he's speaking is like German or like Slavic or or mm-hmm. maybe Scandinavian. But like he lo- – yeah, like Grazzi could be – it could be like a play on like a, a Italian th- yes. uh, uh Thank you. I, I don't know. But yeah. You're waiting for him to do the pinched fingers. Oh, yeah. Ev- Kevin's pinched fingers for sure. <laughs> and <laughs> – that guy was kind of like the bad guy who just follows everybody else's. Like everyone will tell him what to do and he'll do it. Like he's yes, he's up on the totem pole from Yancey, barely, just barely, and he's apparently just a, barely. He's a good shot, uh, apparently with a rifle or something, maybe. But yeah, so he carried it the whole movie. In terms of yeah, in terms of threats, like you got Jack Elam and Hugh Marlowe. They're kind of duking it out on like who's the bad the badder guy the whole time, and then the other two are yes. just like way different. I'm here. <laughs> Come on, I'm he's, just here so I don't get killed. He's, I forget. We should have had the. I did. This is just a, a spontaneous scene callback. But when Jack Elam's like Yancey, you're a one time horse thief, like or a one yes. horse horse thief or something like that. Like he's he's only done he's only broken the law once and got arrested for it. So like that just tells you how this guy is. Um, Exactly. But yeah, we, we go through this movie. It's very much, since it's in one location, it's very much just comes off as a thriller. Like they, they have, they lock up Tyrone Power and Susan Hayward and the baby in like the bedroom and they're trying to bust out under the bed and like dig out some of the Adobe 
plaster or whatever. And, you know, there's obviously all the play, you know, how the camera work and, and the and the playing on like your anticipation of, oh, they're going to get discovered or not. Uh, I think that stuff's done pretty well. But I just like the interactions between all the characters in the kitchen like that. We're all the, in the kitchen, like the most, as you would say, it's not really melodrama, but the most drama happens. I mean, there's For the sure. most character uh, interaction and, and just furthering the plot happens in that building for the most part. But the cool thing is, and what I love about this movie is you never really know exactly which way it's going to go because it leads you, it leads you down just for the sake of an example, it leads you down this whole subplot quote unquote with the written notes that Tyrone powers and Susan Hayward write. And you're, you never know if the bad guys are going to see it. You don't know if the incoming stagecoach is going to see it. Like, that's one of those things where anything could happen at any moment and you don't really know how, where the movie's going to bring it. And I thought moments like that, uh, aid this movie to being pretty excellent. And the same goes with all these character interactions. You never know if Jack Leland's going to just go off, which leads to what eventually happens between him and Marlowe. All, all excellent little bits of nuance. Well, yeah, they show you, Two out of three times, they show you he's a real piece of work because he kills guys by shooting them in the back. I mean, he kills yes. Edgar Buchanan, which I don't have a memory of every single person I've seen murdered in a Western, but 1951, pretty freaking brutal how they depict him killing that guy. I mean, he, he shoots him once or twice and then goes up to him again, point blank, and shoots him again. I mean, it's pretty... In the head. Uh, I don't know if they... they don't show. was pretty sure. No? They okay. don't well they don't show anything, but you could, you know Infer. It's inferred, but it's like you already shot him twice and you stopped him from getting the gun. He's clearly gonna die, so he but he he has to finish him off. So and then he again, I, we've already warned yet twenty times, people. <laughs> We're spoiling stuff, but he kills he eventually ends up killing Hugh Marlowe at towards the end and shoots him in the back, like really Talking. Really quickly, but the whole time, Hugh Marlowe's character, uh, what's his name, Rafe Zimmerman, he has Jack Elon, he's just whipping him around, slapping him all over the place, just like telling him what to do. Jack Elon's character hates it. Like, he hates it. He had, a, he had a whiskey glass in his hand during dinner one night, and he was about to drink it, and he was, Jack Elon does, and he's sneering at Marlowe. Marlowe whacks it out of his hand. Yeah, he breaks it right and, in his face, I think. It's it's like again. And just standing there, sort of shaking his hand, but he's like glaring at him. Oh yeah. Like, he can't he can't believe it that it happened. It's, it's yes. Jack Elam, some my dad always used to be like, Jack Elam sucks. But that's just because he's opinionated. Uh, but he's like, Jack Elam has the best facial reactions and since he has he's like a little he's he's an ugly dude and he's got like the cross-eyed stuff going on it's yes. i mean it's you don't even need his acting really but his acting plus the face is just like he's a perfect bad guy he's perfect, perfect absolutely perfect, perfect and this, heavy. this could be his best role and he has a lot of good ones yeah i this is his most standout role for me i can't remember anything else that he was like you know he's not he's not a lead in this movie but he's got a big role He's, he's, yeah, I mean, he he's, should be. If, you know, obviously Edgar Buchanan is billed third. I would argue that he could potentially be billed third. It'd be a tie between him and Marlowe. Uh, Bill, uh, Hugh Marlowe. It'd be a tie. I, I don't honestly know. I, I might even put Jackie Lynn before Marlowe, even though Marlowe is a great, he's a great character and also a large role and leader of the gang. Yeah, he's a leader of the gang, and he, at the time, in, in the late 50s, he was probably famous for whatever he started in before that, so that's how he got it. And Jack Elam, yeah. funny enough, wasn't even supposed to be in this movie. I did not know the that. Original, the original actor to play that role pushed down Susan Hayward when they were filming, and she was had so much control with the producers coming up through, I think, MGM. I might be wrong, but she had so much control that she literally had him fired the next day and replaced like, cause she, wow. he, the guy hit her for like pushed her down for real. And she was like, ah, I don't like that. So, so fate, fate was in Jack Elam's corner. Hey, that's what you get. From, don't, 
Don't you mess with a Hoxian woman. I'm telling you, man. Don't. Yeah. And I just, I feel so bad. Like Susan Hayward died. She died really young because of cancer. Uh, 57, I think, you know, in the 60s, 60s, 70, I think, yeah, mid seventies probably. And it's like all the, all the roles she was in that I, I haven't seen yet, but she was in another, I believe Henry Hathaway movie. Um, Garden of Evil. Is that right? I need to fact check myself because I don't want to lie to people. Fact check yourself real quick. And while you do that, just because you mentioned Hathaway again, I do want to give a shout out to what was currently my favorite movie by him, Five Card Stud, that he did in the mid 60s. And that one starred Dean Martin and Robert Mitchum. And uh, I haven't seen it in a few years, but great another great little western so have you seen his kiss of death i haven't okay i haven't either that was probably like his biggest one of his biggest movies up until this movie okay. that was 40 1947 but he went on to make so many westerns with with john wayne and he he john wayne liked working with him because him and well true grit yeah true grit uh son, sons of katie elder katie elder north to alaska which again <laughs> two episodes in a row go check out Amy's podcast. Uh, watch this movie because I watch this list. Sorry, watch this movie is another watch podcast. This list. Yeah, <laughs> A- Amy's watch this list unplugged. You guys with the WT, so WTF. Um, yeah, so he worked with Wayne a lot. He worked on a lot of, but he was kind of. I don't even know what you want to call it. Not like a journeyman director, but he did a lot of different genres. Like he didn't just do well, westerns. No, he didn't. But he did a handful of film noir. Because yeah. he he was in that era, and I don't know if you want to comment on that before I take it a step further. Well, yeah, I was going to say the Kiss of Death is is that I've never seen it. But, it's film noir, but I, a lot of these directors that are really good with like just character setting, setting up characters, and like lighting, and yes. like just the effective use of close ups on facial reactions came from mm-hmm. noir. Came um, from noir. It came from that forties fifties era of yeah. exactly what you're talking about, and. This is relevant because I wanted to bring the topic up about Western noir. And I know folks have tossed the term around. I don't know if it's truly a genre. I know the Criterion channel has dubbed it a real subgenre. Um, <laughs> but not to, you know, not, not to not to Western noir, but to Criterion. I, Criterion. I, so those bastards. I, I'm going to throw out the questions now. You can answer casually because I'm going to just say a few more things. But I want to ask Ben, how do you define the noir genre? Because that's always been something that I've talked about with other movie lovers in the past. It's been a it's been a not really a topic of contention, but something that creates a really good conversation because the noir genre is something that it has. It certainly has its traits, but I think those traits are often what's argued upon yeah and the second question is do you believe the western noir exists as folks claim yeah Um, i think it's kind of uh, again if you want to know what i think of noir go listen to cop because chris and i already had this exact same discussion uh it's it's what james it's what it's what james elroy says (laughs) which honestly i forget but it has i think noir is not really i don't really want to call it a genre but more of like a a film movement and it's like you can kind of take anything and make it a noir, right? But tra- I think you, I think you could. Traditionally, people are like, "Oh, it's a detective in like femme fatale and all that kind of stuff." You don't need a detective in it to be a noir, right? It's it's more about like the characters and their sensibilities and le- the tone of the film. And it's definitely, I would say, probably American, uh, a very big American film movement. I'd say I'd say it's it's. Definitely American. Second place would probably be the uh, the French, because the French did a lot of that stark lighting, black and white. I mean, other countries did too, but I think it was the closest to what the Americans were doing at the time. Yeah, they were just following the trends. Like, yeah, Italy probably did it. Oh, Fifteen years later, they always copy what what you're doing. Exactly, they copy what's hot. But it's I I like what you said about it being a movement. It's um it's very much a style. And I think what a lot of the traits that people contribute toward a noir are very broad. So 
you sort of hinted at that when you were saying about sensibilities of the characters. Um, one of the things that that usually makes a noir a noir is that the main character is dealing with some sort of some sort some aspect of fatalism or fate, and um, and the consequences of actions. But really, in any movie, a character is dealing with the consequences of their actions. Um, but then, but then you also brought up the femme fatale, and and or I think there's the femme fatale, but there's also the there can be the damsel in distress. There's always double crosses or triple crosses, which sort of leads starts to lead into melodrama. So I don't know. It's it's one of those things that I like talking about, but there are a lot of aspects to it that are that are murky. I think, and that's sort of exactly what the noir is. I don't think there's like a real like uh, you know we've already talked about my definition for westerns, which is was more of a thought exercise, if anything. I'm not. I'm not. I don't want to be like the end all be all for it. Um, I just no, like, but it's I great. Did, I just like arguing it because it's fun. But for no, for, for noir, sure. I, I want to say like it's definitely like you watch it and you know what it is. Like it's it's like you yes. you like you know what you see when you see it. You know, and you know. In terms of your second question, with do I believe uh, or like is Western noir a thing? Like, of course, this movie's kind of like that. I can see that. Uh, the only other one off the top of my head I could like, well, I guess two I could name would be, um, 40 guns, which is again, black and white. And that's with Barbara Stanwyck and Barry Sullivan, which I, it's, it's kind of similar to here where there's, where there's a struggle between man and woman a little bit. Is it one location? No, no, no. It's not one location. It's, it's in a, okay. it's in a town, but, um, that one. And then the gunfighter with Gregory Peck, which that oh, one nice. Is, Oh, nice. I don't really like it, but that one is one location. It's in a bar. I, I thought that was like, okay. I, I didn't think it was. That one's okay. I, I did just recently see that myself. Um, that one's okay. I would throw out. There's three that I can throw out for Western noir. And Ben, you can tell me if you've seen them. Cause I actually don't know. The best one of the bunch, in my opinion, is blood on the moon. Not nah, from, I haven't seen it. I think it's from 48 or 49 and that one stars Robert Mitchum. It's Mitchum and Robert Preston and Robert Preston plays the heavy and also has Barbara Bel And I think it also has Walter Brennan and the other two that I can throw out there are, Oh, what are their names? The violent men, which is a Barbara Stanwyck and Edward G. Robinson. Yeah, we've talked about that one. You mentioned movie. that one, and then the third one. Uh, if it's going to come to me, it's a mystery about a nearby gold mine, and it's a detective, like a sheriff, takes on the role of the detective, and mm. it's not going to come to me right now. So unfortunately, I won't be able to name that what, one. How old's that one? I think it's in the forties or fifties. Also, it's it's station. Is it Station West? Never seen it if it's called that. Hold on, it's I've station a, something. I've seen a lot, but I've not seen them all. Yes, it is Station West. It stars Dick Powell and Jane Greer. Okay. Yeah, I mean and it's um it's more of a mystery, but it's black and white and it has that whole I mean, it's a West it's a cowboy taking on the role of the detective, so Yeah. which yeah. again, if you like that kind of stuff, great. I, I kind of just get drawn to the Western because it's about, you know, usually about some kind of individualism in the char- in the main character. Like they have to stand up. They're the only one able to stand up to all the bad guys. And that's kind of how it is here. But it's a team up between people that aren't friends and don't know each other. Uh, a man yes. working at this place and a woman who just happens to be there because the stagecoach kicks her off. And they end up kissing in the movie, actually, because she's pretending to be his wife the entire time. So big plot point. So I think that's an interesting thing to to talk about. I'm not really on one side or the other, to be quite honest with you. I just like Westerns most of the time. I like Westerns. So yeah, I'm drawn to that. I think, I think for me, like I'm, I love Westerns also. And I love, I, I love film noir also. So if I, if I see something that sort of has aspects of both, I think I'm sort of all in. Um, and this film to me, I think fits it. Whether we 
I don't think we really defined the genre right uh, tonight, but um, I would consider we this did a Western cop. noir. We did in cop. We did in cop. Go you go back right, and listen. Sir. Um, I had a feeling we talked about this before, and not Western noir, but noir, and I couldn't remember what episode it was. So thank you for bringing up. Yes. The I, cop. Episode. I got your back. Thanks, bra. We're both wearing and, tank tops tonight. <laughs> yeah, bro. Yeah, yeah, bro. You gonna get my down, flow, bro? My flow. Oh god, they. Uh, you wanna fight me, bro? Bro. Medieval bro down. Yeah, so I think that's a good conversation to have if you're in, if you're a fan of movies and you like the detective slash film noir genre, and you also like westerns. Western noir could be your thing. And it's it's sort of a very it's noir itself, an aspect we didn't talk about yet in this episode is that some people limit it to a time period, as you called it a movement. So some people say it's from whatever 1940 something to you like 1950 something. The setting of the movie or the when the movie was made? No, when the movie was made. So when you say it was a film movement, some people say film noir only existed in from here to here. Yeah, but so any of those films. I'm just I'm just bringing think, it up as an example. I think it's a lot easier to say like for, like when I did the the thought exercise for the western. We, the western is that it's a time period, it's a look, it's like a location all in one. Yeah, it's a lot easier. Yes. Like it's not film noir New York. You know, it's not like oh, it's all in, right. it has to be in New York City. Right. It has to be in you yes. know, just making that up off the fly. Like it's a film movement, but I don't think the film movement is technically tied to a a time when it, the movie was made because you can just take how the movie was made in 1940 and copy the exact same tropes in your movie. And it's, you're doing the same sure. thing, right? Sure. So. I mean, I, I, I agree. And I'd, I'd personally like, I'd like people to have the ability to make more film noirs. I wouldn't want that to be restricted necessarily to an era, but what helps those forties and fifties films is that they are from that era. Yeah. from the 40s and from the 50s it just has it goes to that style so so yeah it's interesting fa- to, it's interesting to talk favorite, about favorite noir movie straight up like straight up yeah like the, a straight up noir like a traditional one if you would sweet smell of success okay i like that i own it it's on the shelf behind me uh that you have you seen see. it oh yeah seen it twice oh, okay Okay, uh, I'd have to say that one off the top of my head. My favorite off rating, and I think I've only seen it once, it's The Big Heat. Okay, but that's a Mitchum movie, isn't it? No, it, it's uh, Glenn Ford, I believe. Oh, Glenn Ford, okay. And I think Lee, Marvin, cool. Lee Marvin's the bad guy in it, if I bad remember guy. correctly. Which, Lee Marvin, great heavy. Great heavy, Speaking of great. Speaking of Alabama Hills and Bud Bodeker and Randolph Scott, Seven Men From Now... You got to watch that. He, uh, on Mar- the list. Lee Marvin's in that. And it's that is top 10 Westerns of all time. Ooh. I'm laying down the gauntlet. High praise. Yes. High praise. All right. And then best, what's your favorite noir mix movie? Like some people would say, I'll, I'll give you an example that's not technically mine, but this is what pe- some people would say. Some would be like, oh, Blade Runner. Oh, okay. That's. I mean, that's a great one to throw out there. Yeah, some people say that. So, I mean, I don't know if you have one. I mean, some people, I might, I'm going to cut, I'm going to cut you off like you did for my, uh, quickly down under. I'm going to yes. cut you off and be like, Thief, another one. Michael Mann. Yes, exactly. Excellent. Well, I was just thief, looking at thief. your favorite movies today. Yeah. I'm cutting you off. <laughs> I looked at your favorite <laughs> movies today and uh-huh. saw that you have The Last of the Mohicans on there. And I was like, bruh fantastic that's all that's a great movie that was my favorite man film forever and when i made my top favorite list there it was excluded and i put thief in over it but i had only seen thief within the last four years or whatever um and it felt wrong it felt wrong i still think last of the mohegans i think if i were to make a top like michael mann list i think i think last of the mohegans would be at the top and then thief would be number two but last of the mohegans was was my first man Yes, it was my first man also. Yeah, I grew up on exactly. that. I had the VHS and then probably saw public enemies in theaters in like 09. I don't know. Yeah. All right. 
sorry, back back to Rawhide. I, I mean, I said a lot about this movie, but we haven't said we haven't said all because we're we're, we're trying to keep this episode shorter, folks. Um, just so we don't ramble. We're trying. We're, we're trying. We're at forty five. That was our goal, so we're a little over. But I mean, am I forgetting anything huge? Like anything really big about this movie? Am I forgetting? Like it's a, it's it is a great western. Uh, it's great. What makes it great is the economy and the character interactions. And if it were not for the the bookends of the movie, I think you and I are on the same page. It'd be a masterpiece. It's an and it's under. It would be a masterpiece. It's, it, it's under ninety minutes, which yes. I love. It's eighty nine. I, yes. I I mistakenly told you it was seventy four, but I was incorrect. I think I'm. I was thinking the Tall T, which another Boudicca movie that I think is could kind of be considered a single location. Also filmed in the Alabama Hills. <laughs> Very cool. Keep going back to it. I recommend all those for everybody. So I'm I'm ready to rate. Same here. Same here. Oh, oh one one last thing before I rate. Tyrone Power. Okay. Not the best lead not the best western lead in my opinion but i i agree serviceable with that, what, serviceable for, yes for this movie and for what he was trying to do i think tyrone powers is like you said serviceable because he acts as what i've called in the past the rubber mat type where you have everyone in the ensemble just bouncing off of of this lead character who's not showing emotion probably directed that way um in most cases um, another equivalent, so I, I call it the rubber mat type. So another example of that would be Ryan O'Neill's character in Tough Guys Don't Dance. So if you've seen that movie, you know what I'm talking about. It, just the cast bounces off of the leading guy, and the leading guy is sort of, this is going to sound derogatory, but stale. Okay. Right? Well, it is what it is. It is what it is. That Henry Hathaway movie, I'm remembered, Garden of Evil, Susan Hayward's in it. She plays like the exact same character as this movie. Gary Cooper, oh, so- Gary Cooper, Richard Widmark. You would like oh, that. Oh, nice you, cast. You would like that one. It's in, okay, Sa- cool. it's in South America, technically, so not a Western. <laughs> <laughs> but it's close. By your standards. But it's close. Yes. Close. But yeah. All right. Great movie. Do you want to go? You- no. You go first, sir. So... Rawhide rating, Chris's rating, 9 out of 10. Ditto, baby. Yes, yes. I had a feeling we were going to be the same on this. This was not my first time seeing this movie. I did. It was my second. It was my second. Oh, you did. You did. You did. You you still. I I knew you. I knew. I didn't know. It's like you you follow me somewhere on the internet. (laughs) I could have done that, but I assumed you had seen it before. Mostly because it was a western, um, and I didn't do any background checks. I, hey. I just I thought I thought we were going to be I on ha- the same wavelength. I have not seen them all. Come on. But I- here, so before you give your rating, last question: Do you know if this movie has any sort of relation to the TV show? I believe it does not, because they actually, when they were airing it, it was either on TV or somewhere else, somewhere else. They changed this movie's title to Desperate Siege. Okay. So that it, they didn't get confused in the late 50s. With the TV with, show. With Clint okay. Eastwood. Obviously, yes. legendary uh, Rawhide. I, I even think Peck and Paul directed a couple episodes on that before he started doing movies. So, Okay. You should look. Everyone should look up Rawhide and watch one episode. I don't even know if I have, but it's like the Rifleman or the Virginian or Bonanza. Like, Bonanza. You, you, gotta, you gotta watch like three or four episodes of those old-timey like 50s, yes. 60s TV shows because they're they're great. They're wholesome. They're like a nice piece of apple pie. Pinched fingers. Pinched baby. fingers. Yeah, sorry. No one can see that. Go ahead, rate. All right. Oh, no, you already did. I did. Nine. Searcher score. Right. Nine. Silly me. Nine. Yeah. <laughs> hey, look at that. Well, if we didn't forget anything, if we forgot something, we can just put, put it in the uh, episode description. Screw it. But, yes. Hey, that was that was a good that was a good episode. We got another one to record tonight. Yes, let's do it. All right, man. Well, hey, everybody, thanks for joining for our review of Rawhide from 1951, starring people. I'm not going through the cast list again. Starring people, it's ingrained into my head. But yeah, it's uh, directed by Henry Hathaway. 
if you've seen True Grit and you like that, you'll like this. I think it's 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 not. If you like sa- one location, even if you don't like westerns, but you like one location films with really cool characters and a cast. This is for you. If you like noirs, noirs. This is for you. Yes. If you like noirs and you're not sure if you like westerns or if you don't like westerns, you you should like this. If you like Susan Hayward, there's a little bit of cleavage action in this movie, and I was like, dang. <laughs> 1951. Bold move, Cotton. Bold move. We'll see how this one plays out. <laughs> so, yeah. All right, folks. As Odie did, send in your mailbags. Searcherspodcast at gmail.com. Please like, rate, and subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple, Podbean. If you could give us a review or... Yeah, a review on Apple is the most helpful, to be quite honest. But that's all I'll say. Agreed. But yeah. we appreciate all the love as yes. Odie gave us. Yes. And we will return to Lerv. So until next time, folks. So long, everybody. Thanks for listening to The Searchers Podcast. If you want to hear more of our thoughts on movies, you can find us on Letterboxd. Ben at Giant13, Chris at Ziglet underscore Mer, and me at Kevin Chan. Find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and on searchersfilmpodcast.podbean.com. Until next time, people. <laughs>